0: Hello, and welcome to the Silver Travel Podcast, where we aim to transport you to a brighter place. We'll be talking all things travel with our special guest, Eleanor Mills, in a moment. But nothing brightens the mood like a holiday, and we have one to give away. It's a full board cruise for one lucky winner in a standard outside cabin for up to 14 nights, sailing in 2023, courtesy of our friends at Ambassador Cruise Line. To enter, visit silvertraveladvisor.com before the 31st of March, 2023. That's silvertraveladvisor.com. Now, let's meet our guest. She's someone who definitely isn't afraid to speak their mind. She's a journalist, diversity campaigner and entrepreneur. She edited the Sunday Times magazine for many years and recently founded Noon, a new platform for women in midlife. She calls them Queen Agers. She is Eleanor Mills. Eleanor, welcome to the Silver Travel Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Nice to be here. Now, I'm a queenager, but for those listeners who may not have heard of the definition before, can you explain what a queenager is?
1: Well, a queenager is a woman in midlife. And the point about the queenager term is I'm trying to tell a more positive story about the later stages of women's lives. I think that currently there are too many women who feel like they're invisible and they're done by the time they hit 50, or that's what the culture tells us. When the reality is, as you and I both know, we both founded companies at 50, or pretty well, um, that actually your Mm -hmm. 50s is the decade where it all happens where it all comes together Helena Bonham Carter recently said that at 56 she felt like she was coming into her prime and I think that that's a story that we need to tell much more broadly in the culture so rather than talking about women in midlife I talk about queen ages which I think is a kind of combination of teenagers and being a queen and uh you know I think it's just (laughs) a much more positive description of
0: where we are And it's changing the narrative from it all just all being about the menopause, really, isn't it? I absolutely hate that. I mean, you know, I think it's really important that we have
1: doctors who understand what women are going for are uh, going through after all we're 51 52 percent of the population and i think it's an absolute scandal that loads of gps haven't actually had any training on menopause so i think of course there's a massive health inequality in which needs sorting out but i think that we don't want to be seen through a menopausal lens there's so much more to women than just their biology and of course the whole point of feminism was to uh, escape being defined by our biology so it seems a bit depressing that just as actually bodily you're free of that the whole conversation goes back to being about women in menopause it's like yeah I'm, i'm i'm not a fan but i think i think it's important that there's a conversation but i think there's a hell of a lot more to queen ages than just menopause
0: totally agree with you on that one. And before noon, of course, you were at the Sunday Times for 23 years, which which is quite a male dominated in media's male dominated industry. Now, I'm keen to hear how important a role travel has played in your life in general. But whilst you were at the Sunday Times, did you jet off to any memorable places in the hunt for stories? Oh,
1: yeah, I did a lot of that. I mean, I did 23 years at the Sunday Times. And part of the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing now, and I've set up a new online platform for women in midlife called New .org.uk because in the 100 year life 50 is only halfway through and at noon we talk about the queen nature so and i've done that because i could see as a um kind of pillar of the mainstream media i mean i i was editorial director editor of the sunday times magazine i was columnist and interviewer chair of women in journalism i could just i've been interested for a long time in what i call the male lens of the media and basically how all of our lives were seen through the point of view of a few Old white posh blokes on the back bench who would be kind of dictating <laughs> the the headlines and how the world saw itself. So everything I'm trying to do at noon is to see the world through a midlife queenager perspective. And I think that's why it's being so popular because so many women suddenly think, yeah, well, why am I being written off as being kind of you know past it? And the whole point is that women are still seen through a male lens too much of the time, which only values them for being fanciable and which I think is complete rubbish. There's so much more to women than that. And so that's everything that I'm trying to do. So in terms of travel, travel has always been a huge part of um, my life. In fact, I met my husband uh, while on a big travelling um, safari. I'd gone off, I was between jobs. I was in my early, um, kind of mid-twenties. And I went off to India to see a friend of mine who was travelling around um, kind of southern India. And I met him in uh, near Bangalore and we went down to Trivandrum and hung out. In, um on the beach and yeah, then um, we yes. went to hampi which uh, some some listeners will know which is the most glorious city um kind of inland from Goa in Karnataka which is um it was it was the place where um the gods were meant to have kind of thrown kind of stones in this big battle and it looks a bit like um the Zimbabwe kind of plateaus where there are those huge kind of mounds of rocks and there are all these temples built into the rocks and I was sitting on the roof of the shanty guest house in Hampi And my husband walked up the steps because he'd been, well, my now husband, because he'd been traveling with this friend that I'd gone to meet and said, hi, I'm Derek. And we've been together ever since. So traveling has a very special place in my heart. In fact, my older daughter's middle name is Hampi, named after. She's Laura Scarlett Hampi. Oh,
0: imagine if you would have met in Rotherham, though, that wouldn't have been so I don't think glamorous would have really, been Laura would
1: it? At Rotherham, though. <laughs> I think have been Rotherham, I think had a kind of glamour to it. Uh, but I've travel's always been really important to me in terms of, I don't know, escape, I'm a Londoner. So one of the great things about living in London is that the whole world mm. is in London. I was talking to a lovely Somali uh, friend the other day and I was going, oh, I feel bad that I've only ever lived in Camden Town. And he was like, yeah, but the whole world's in Camden Town. <laughs> 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 so I think that part of that is um, also them being really curious to find out the kind of, you know, the genesis of all these people that one, you know, sees all these things that one knows about because you live in this huge cosmopolitan centre. So I've taken myself off on many travels since I was uh, since I was a teenager. And of course, I'm 50. So we were part of that whole generation for whom, you know, either before or after university, we all went off on, you know, on a kind of travel You went traveling. Traveling and so you kind of went off for a really long extended period i mean my husband traveled all the way around africa kind of in the back of a back of a truck he kind of went through the congo and kind of you know to rwanda and stuff back in the kind of end of the 80s so that that was very much what our generation did and certainly some of my happiest times have been in very you know with my my lonely planet in one hand and uh you know a, a kind of um kind of hanging out in a guest house and getting in a in a kind of jeep and going off into the middle of the jungle to kind of go and explore things i've always been very adventurous
0: and have you ever lived overseas for any period of time, or ever fancied living overseas? I
1: haven't, but um, lots of members of my family have. So my my um, I've got many brothers. <laughs> so one of my brothers lived in Cape Town for ten years. So I used to go out to South Africa a lot and stay with him and explore and go all the way up the kind of Garden Route. And um, and actually, my husband, after we'd met in India, his best friend um, married a South African woman, and um, he went to help build a house with them um near Hermanus near where the whale festival is up on the kind of garden beach in South Africa so I went yeah. out and spent quite yeah. a lot of time with him there so I've never actually lived abroad but I've spent large chunks of every year kind of in foreign climes
0: yeah, and I love Cape Town. It's mm. any excuse to go to Cape Town. It's one of my favourite cities. It's a fabulous spot. Robies. Um, and talking about enjoying yourself whilst you're travelling. Now, I vaguely remember a conversation about you travelling somewhere and having a mushroom experience.
1: <laughs> yes, well, the last few years, <laughs> I've always loved the Caribbean. I mean, I think that at this time of year, with kind of January, February, the most, the best place you can be definitely is the Caribbean. And I usually, mm. we usually go to Jamaica um, for Christmas. I've got a great friend who um, basically sees Treasure Beach in Jamaica as her second home. So the last few years, we've gone to Jamaica for Christmas, which is just so fun. You get kind of reggae Christmas carols and all the kind of trees are lit up. Um, and the thing that took me first to Treasure Beach was to go and do a psilocybin retreat. Psilocybin is magic mushrooms, for, for those who don't know. And in Jamaica, um, it's it's legal or it's never been made illegal. So you can go and do a magic mushroom retreat there um without being kind of you know in trouble with the authorities and i went, arrested uh, i went actually when i was still editor of the sunday times magazine my um one of my writers and who's also my brilliant friend is uh Decker Aitkenhead, and she wrote we went out there together her husband drowned tragically actually in jamaica about 10 years ago and she had real ptsd from that which she just couldn't shift and so she was really interested to go and try the psilocybin because it's really good for for trauma for addiction anything where you're stuck in particular patterns of behavior so we went out to um jamaica and took three big doses of psilocybin um in a week and actually you could not imagine a more beautiful place to do it because jamaica is so lush and beautiful and kind of the blue and the green mm. and the sea and the truly tropical. I mean, it's so truly tropical it's almost kind of trippy anyway because it's so you know the colors are so bright <laughs> it's so beautiful so um, taking lots of magic mushrooms there was pretty heavenly um and we had Gosh. this incredible week and i really fell in love with jamaica and what's interesting is actually my dad grew up in Jamaica for a while because my um, grandparents were um, my my grandfather was head of MI5 in Jamaica after the war so my dad who was born in 1945 spent his like first four or five years in Jamaica because they were posted there and so there's this weird kind of Jamaican connection in my family my granny always had um, incredible placemats which were all Jamaican birds and there were all sorts of kind of Jamaican phrases oh, wow. which have kind of been which have been kind of handed down so for me there was something very um powerful about going back there because there was something about it which felt a draw yeah it felt kind of familiar felt like you know we'd been we, uh, there, there was a kind of bit of me, bit of it which was familiar to me and I love it I mean I've always been a big fan of reggae and um that's always been a big part of my life kind of in London growing up I went to loads of clubs in Brixton and listened to lots of reggae and always went to the carnival. And so, so there's. I think if you're a Londoner, there's a, such a strong kind of Jamaican kind of mm, connection. connection because there's so much of the kind of Caribbean in London. So when you go there, it feels kind of quite familiar. And I love the bits of the Caribbean which are not perfect white sand and kind of um, tourist ghettos. Yeah, not too polished. I hate the polishedness of Mm. it. I hate those hotels where people are kind of brushing onto your, uh, your sunbed, I remember once. Writing about it, I wrote an article in the Times. <laughs> I got into a bit of trouble for about kind of talking about the rich mummy on her sun bed, and the poor mummy with her kind of you know mop. And I I hate those kind of hotels where you're being kind of fussed over all the time, and you feel very um, removed from the community. What I love about Treasure Beach and Jake's hotel there is that it's right in the middle of the village, and everybody is around, and you don't feel like you're in a
0: compound. Yeah, the Caribbean offers that, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, where you feel where you feel like you're kind of part of part of the world, but too much of the Caribbean, I think, when you go, is um, those kind of gated compounds where you're separated off, and there's nothing worse than going to some of the really poor islands and being in a hotel, which is, where a bottle of water costs ten dollars, and you know that's more money than mm. the people in the local village have got to spend for the entire week. I I think that that kind of aspect of tourism I've always um really resisting the
0: inequality of it. Yeah, I'd always mm. much
1: rather go and stay in somewhere really simple kind of on the beach with a hammock. I mean, I spent I spent 3 months traveling around Central America um in my you know early 20s, sleeping in hammocks on the beach in Zipolite and um kind of taking we took a uh American school bus for nine hours across the we went down the river from um, from Mexico down into Guatemala and then all the way across to Flores um, and then up to Tikal and did the kind of jungle there and then into Belize and that was you know that was amazing you really feel like you're Indiana Jones so I think I think maybe we were quite spoiled our generation because we went to these places when they were still so you know and of course they were so untouched and there was no no mobile phones. When you went, when I went off travelling, I also travelled around Indonesia for my by myself for two months when I was 22, and I can remember um, landing in Jakarta, knowing nobody, no mobile phone, just my guidebook, and I had two absolutely brilliant months I remember at one point ending up at the end of Zimbabwe, um, the only I was like the only white person for you know hundreds of miles <laughs> waiting for this ferry to take me across to Komodo Island and to Flores from the far far um, eastern end of Sumbawa. and all the other west all the other gringos had kind of given up because there wasn't there was no ferry for five days but I had lots of time so I just hung out in this place and I made loads of friends and Was taken out by the fishermen. I remember once sitting on a kind of a beach with this kind of whole bunch of fishermen and with the kind of machetes who are chopping coconuts and just me and suddenly thinking (laughs) it could go really wrong (laughs) and just kind of (laughs) trusting that it wouldn't. But I've always, um, I've always kind of loved that sense of the kind of you know the freedom and the possibility of of it just being kind of you. And I'm quite expressive and I'm quite cheerful and I've always found that that was. You could kind of communicate. I think also one of the reasons I didn't feel particularly scared when I was traveling in Indonesia by myself was that I'm I'm quite large. I'm not a kind of petite kind of lady, and I remember being large personality. I would say yeah, too. but I'm also you know not not a small lady. And I remember being yeah. on this um this ferry and uh, guessing, which is really in the middle of nowhere again, no other tourists. And I was very I'm very blonde and I've got I'm quite buxom and the the captain and three of his henchmen walking down on. To the um, deck of the ship, and coming up to me and going, "You, very beautiful, very fat." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, it was brilliant. And, and I always felt like I was kind of quite quite a lot larger than a lot of the people around. So I kind of didn't feel particularly physically threatened. I don't know why, but I just didn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, that resonates with me. I, I, spent, um, I spent a year in Australia when I was in my 20s. And some of the situations I got myself into, I, I really couldn't repeat. But, you know, when you're talking about travelling around South America on a school bus mm-hmm. and sleeping in hammocks, um, there is a feeling that actually it's better that your parents didn't know what was going <laughs> on back then. Whereas now, unfortunately, you know, what, I know we've, we've both got um, children, you know, our, our daughters step outside and we instantly know where they are and we, and therefore we worry about them. And I think some of that worry is also because I know what I got up to when I was travelling and the situations I found myself into. It's, it's a really shift and there's been a real shift in dynamics down to social media and social media is great from a travel point of view in that you can showcase the most wonderful destinations but actually there's something the mystique has gone a little bit as well about travel and that's what um you know that I think that's the downside to uh, to to social as well
1: yeah um- it was very weird um, recently my daughter went off to Colombia her um, her boyfriend's finished university mm-hmm. and he's a geographer so they were in some pretty wild bits of Colombia she flew out to Medellin and then they were on those kind of old, mm-hmm. old buses the kind of things that we used to do in Guatemala and Belize and but of course when we were doing it nobody knew what we were up to whereas now I, I mm. like, kind of face you know whatsapping me in real time here I am on the bus here are the kind of 100 foot high mm. palm trees here we are at this really remote kind of waterfall oh oh the other people in the guest house were just held up at kind of gunpoint you know so that meant as a parent that's (laughs) horrific because there's nothing you can do because you're on the other side of the road and i mean the other side of the road other side of the world and yet you you're getting this kind of constant update so it was quite fun like Mm. here i am on my coffee put my coffee plantation you know this is what we're having for breakfast but it's also I, th- I think that they're missing something because I think some of the the magic of, say, being at the end of Zimbabwe with nobody else for miles was that real sense of, re- of kind of self-reliance um, and mm. real immersion in the culture. Um, I learned a bit of Indonesian, you know, when I was there, you know, kind of Jalan, Jalan and kind of, you know, Terima kasih and, the, you know, those kind of things. So you, you you could kind of get, you could get by. To survive and get
0: by. To survive mm. and get
1: by. And, you know, no Google Translate, no kind of Google Maps, mm-hmm. not being able to get in touch with people back home and i think that that did teach you that you could be i think it, i think it was hugely confidence giving actually because i kind of afterwards i think well you know i survived kind of completely on my own with no one around and Zimbabwe. it kind of gave you a sense that you could that you could you could kind of prevail Really against kind of quite
0: conquer anything. Yeah,
1: and I think yeah, that, that was actually it's
0: definitely character building.
1: Definitely, and and it was really fun. And I think you got an immersion in the local culture because there was no you mm. couldn't. I mean, m- my daughter sometimes when she's been away has been kind of ringing ringing us up, or when she was when the boyfriend was in Colombia and she was back here, they were talking to each other for hours every day on kind of FaceTime. So that kind of connectivity with the world back home, I think, makes for a very different experience. When you're travelling, it's not that sense of immersion in where you are, and that now being your new reality,
0: and and also isolation as as well. I remember when I would w- travelled, as I said, in Australia, and I w- I spent a year out mm-hmm. there, and I would reverse charge call home once a month. Yeah. Um, And it was always touch and go as to whether if my dad was in the house, whether he'd actually accept the call or not. My mum would definitely would have, but with it being reverse charge call, I was never too sure. But I would always then give them a forwarding address for where they would write to me for the next month. And it was with, you know, such there was a buildup of excitement when I got to my next town or city or destination, visiting the post office and seeing, you know, a letter there waiting for me and telling me everything that had gone on back at home which wasn't a huge amount really but um but also I I think I learnt how to be homesick mm. as well but, you know and, and also that survival instinct kicks in because I wasn't going to come home before my 12 months was up, was up so you kind of have to you learn how to survive which You know, sometimes I can accuse myself of being a helicopter parent, I guess, over my daughter. And I don't think I necessarily give her that chance to survive. She doesn't need to because I'm always there to step in. That didn't happen to us when we were traveling. In far-flung places of the world, did it? No, parents weren't no, there the, to step there was, in for it. There us. was no,
1: there was no backup. I mean, I can remember. I, like, mm. I remember that thing about writing letters post-reston. I mean, if you say that to mm. children now, they'd look at you like yes. it was something out of the Victorian. No. I remember my granny talking about um, uh, being taken to church in a pony and trap, and us just going, "Oh, it sounds like something Jane, out of something, something out of Jane Austen." But I think that there's a similar disconnect with our kids. <laughs> when you go, well, we went travelling, and there were no phones and if you were going to talk to anyone it was mm. a reverse charge call and after i met my husband he went on traveling around india and we wrote to each other i wrote him all these letters to kind of post you know post restaurant to some kind of place in you know up in the himalayas you know and he would get paha Ganj, mm. i think i was and uh, no, not know is ganja's and jelly but kind of um writing writing to kind of some crazy place up in daramasala which where he was going to go and pick up the setter there was something quite romantic about that and also the net yeah back which I've still got which were these kind of missives and they had a bit of coffee from the guest house table where you'd be kind of sitting writing you'd be like oh you know there are parakeets in the trees and I'm sitting here kind of right there having my coffee oh. and you could almost feel that or smell that in the paper mm. or, or the physicality of that missive coming from that place that you're holding in your hand something that somebody kind of actually physically was writing there's something different to that I think than a text message mm. but that does make us sound very old it does, doesn't it?
0: Well, we are um, age, is but a number. It's like we're in our Attitude prime. is what counts. Is what I what I keep saying to myself. Um, and so, of all of the places that you've been to, what would you say has been your um, your f- most favourite place you've visited? Oh gosh! If you got a favourite, that is tricky. Um... I mean, one of my most favourite places
1: in the world, actually some places in England, I mean, the place that we go back to over and over again is the north coast of Devon, um, Puttsboro, that amazing mm-hmm. beach between um, uh, Croyd and Woolacombe, which is like kind of three miles of the most incredible Atlantic beach. And we go down there, my girls surf and we boogie board and the colour of the water there and the quality of the waves and the beauty of that place is 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 comparable to sounds up to anywhere in the world i think i mean the weather's not quite as good Mm. but um and we have relatives there and we've had so many happy times on that beach so that that is a very special place to me and the other place that i really love is the island of lismore up in um scotland in the highlands near oban and i've got a friend who lives on on lismore as a crofter and going up there to see her you go to oban pier and you sit on the pier and eat kind of lobsters which have just come out of the water and loads of kind of, yeah, um, yeah amazing fresh fish and, and kind of smoked salmon, which has literally been smoked in the kiln around the corner. And it's all served on kind of plastic plates, but it's the most delicious seafood you ever eat. And you kind of drink, Ooh. you know, kind of you drink wine out of plastic cups and then get on the get on the ferry <laughs> across to um, to Lismore and we swim in Loch Linney, surround, and you look out towards kind of Arran and you're surrounded by the mountains. And again, that I think... The interplay of cloud and mountain and light and water and the shadows and the way the the sky is reflected in the sea. And it's always different every time you open your eyes because the sun, there's always a cloud and the sun is illuminating a bit of a mountain you haven't mm. seen before. I must say, I do think that that is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. So. There, I've, I mean, I've been lucky to travel all over the place. I mean, I mean Tikal, I think, in um, that incredible, the Mayan ruins in Central America. Tikal, I think, is there's a place called there called Temple Four. And I can remember sitting on the top of that with the four friends that I was traveling with, looking out over the forest and all the kind of birds flying over the top of the trees. And um, just thinking about it now gives me a tingle. It was like those kind of really (laughs) amazingly kind of happy moments or sitting in the mango cafe in Hampi when I first met my husband and him juggling fire for me. He's a juggler and and there were some fire clubs and him juggling fire. some of my really those memories there's a wonderful wordsworth quote which is that there are in our existence spots of time which retain a vivifying virtue and certainly some of those really special moments for me have been in some incredibly beautiful places that i've been so lucky to be able to visit Mm. and jamaica definitely is up there for that you know the, the psilocybin kind of kind of falling into that kind of golden singularity that you get when you take the psilocybin you get if you're lucky you get this kind of total sense of ego dissolution so everything that you are to just kind of merge into a total sense of connectedness and oneness with the kind of light and the beauty of the place and the kind of the world you feel like you are part of everything
0: and, and travel has the ability to do that, doesn't it? As you said, there you get you get goosebumps when you when you recall a certain memory, and and actually you just men, mentioned Oban then, and um, that brings back a memory to me, which is not so pleasurable because I actually went um, to Oban and um, went with my father and one of my cousins. Now my dad is one of thirteen children, big Irish Catholic family, and he said to me, "Would I escort him up to Oban to go and?" Um, to a cousin's wedding. Now I'd never met this cousin before. So we made our way, went to Glasgow, collected one of my other cousins I did know, made our way up to Oban, went to the church, sat in the church and my father's going, I don't really recognize anybody. I'm looking around and I'm saying, well, you know, the church was packed. There's a few hundred people in there. And he said, no, Lisa, you know, I I don't recognize anyone. To which the bride started walking down the aisle and my other cousin said, we're at the wrong wedding. So we had to, well, I kid you not, we had to sneak out um, along the bench, sneak out. And um, there is only one church in, in Oban, but it turns out my cousin was actually getting in the hotel, which was a few doors away from the church. Yeah. So, um, yes, we um, <laughs> that, that was a first for me. So I loved Oban, but as soon as you said it, I'd say it brought back that memory, which is... Um, and that brings back goosebumps for the wrong reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, being um, in the wrong <laughs> wedding—that's no, that, pretty bad. Um, yeah, a bit of a disaster. Um, <laughs> have you got any holiday disasters to tell us? That wasn't even a holiday, but any ho- everybody's got a holiday disaster real, to talk about.
1: Real disasters. Let me think. Oh God, I'm sure there are some. Are I, I, oh, you always trying? I mean, I think kind of some of the worst bits of holidays are always the actual kind of getting there, aren't they? So,
0: yeah. I'm, I mean, yep.
1: I'm not a fan of sitting in massive traffic jams on the M5. That's the, the worst thing about no. it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anybody who is. <laughs> no, so we always try and go. And we've got an electric car as well, which makes things even more tricky. So we tend uh. to go very early in the morning when you're likely to get on the charger without having to wait for too long. We're, we're quite big on the like 4am flit um what mm. real I'm trying to think of real I mean I, th- I think there's nothing more depressing than going somewhere tropical expecting it to be sunny and then getting there and <laughs> raining I've I've had that happen to me a few times and that's that's just um, particularly into, we had a holiday we went to Spain around Easter um my mum has a at a house near Alicante, and it just rained the whole time. And there's nothing more depressing than being somewhere which is all set up for no. sunshine and sitting there in the rain. And it was one of those freaky, freaky springs where they, where you know, sometimes in England you get the real like hot spell over Easter. Oh. So we were getting and all it was these 23
0: degrees in the UK, it's like 28
1: <laughs> degrees in Gloucestershire or something. And we were sitting in Spain <laughs> in the freezing rain without the right clothes. So that's always grim, I think. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's nothing more depressing than a kind of a, ho- a sunny, holiday place when it's really kind of cold and wet it's funny in jamaica when it rains i mean in the in the more tropical bits they used it but down in treasure beach it's drier it's slightly more kind of mediterranean climate because of where it is and when it rains there all the locals just like they're just like, oh no, can't can't They <laughs> it. They're like it's really cold. And anything that's meant to be happening is immediately cancelled because it's raining and everyone just stays at home sitting under blankets drinking rum.
0: Yeah, they don't have wet weather plans, do they? That's the they don't have a plan B. Um, no, we had actually so... we had a
1: real disaster on, um in Treasure Beach on um it was Christmas. It was Christmas Eve. It was Christmas Day, and we'd gone to the kind of posh hotel. And we were out there with my mum, and we had we went to the posh hotel for dinner, and of course everything there happens outside, and it was just at Jake's hotel, which is quite mm. a, quite a swanky hotel. And there was suddenly a deluge, so all oh, there were probably like a hundred people having dinner there, and everybody had to cram under like one tiny balcony. We were sitting in the hotel reception, um, trying to eat our Christmas lunch in kept with by candlelight. It was kind of Christmas supper by candlelight, kind of on our laps, literally sitting around like we were having a picnic. <laughs> with and loads of other people never got any food at all because the power just went out. So yeah, that was a bit of a disaster. It was quite funny. Luckily, the bar, the rum didn't
0: run out so we drank a lot of cocktails. That's the most important thing. Turn it to a liquid lunch, yeah. and um, you know, and it, you know, it still it gives you a story to talk about as well, doesn't it? yes yeah. uh, Sometimes that's those, uh, Sometimes that's those a... things
1: where it all goes wrong actually end up being some of the some of the best stories. Fun um, times, yeah. Yeah, really fun times. And where
0: where's left on your travel wish list? Then?
1: Well, I'm really looking forward to going to Morocco with you at the end of um, April. We're leading a Queen yes. Age trip um, with uh, Intrepid Travel um, into the, and we're being led by this incredible female tour guide aren't we and we're going to walk through Berber country with a whole load of queen ages from noon um lisa and i are going together so i'm really looking forward to that because i think that that's going to give us a chance to really get under the surface of the place i think sometimes these days when you go abroad you you kind
0: of get too much of a tourist experience which as i've said is not my thing so i'm really looking forward and this will definitely be the authentic experience and I keep thinking what could possibly go wrong a group of queen ages trekking um, off you know off-grid in Morocco I'm really looking forward to that actually I think I'm looking forward to I mean I, I climbed um, Mount Toubkal in Morocco last year. Um, just four days after doing the London Marathon, which was ridiculous. Um, yeah, you were, like, stu- I,
1: you were super powered. I mean, when we saw you in Morocco at the Abta conference there, Lisa, you were like so fit. <laughs>
0: I know, I was supercharged, that's for sure. So yeah, I, I am looking forward to that. And and I think, you know, that kind of trip, it just embraces a gung-ho, um, gung-ho spirit to travel, mm. which, you know, clearly you've got just, you know, hearing just some of the stories that you've got. Um, do you think your attitude to travel and holidays has changed over the years from when you were in your 20s to where you are now in life?
1: I think that I still think in my head, I'm 23 and I've got my backpack. <laughs> and I remember actually when I was going out to, I was going out to Jamaica, and um, to my husband wasn't coming with me. It was just me, and my friend was like. Uh, where are you gonna stay? And I said, Well I said, Oh well I thought I'd just stay in that kind of backpacker's place, kind of at the back of the beach. And she just looked at me in horror. She was like, there aren't even any mosquito nets there. And they don't and they have a generator that doesn't work. And she was like, why don't you stay in this nice apartment? Kind of, you know, that might be a bit more befitting to, you know, the editorial director of the Sunday Times. And so I think that there's a bit of me that still thinks that I'm a backpacker. And I actually still feel kind of happier in that kind of environment. I mean, uh, that sounds really spoiled, but because I was um a, a, you know a journalist for so many years I've been lucky enough to stay in some incredible swanky hotels all over the world but that Mm. is really that's really not my happy place I'm much more of a kind of barefoot traveler um that said I did love going to the Maldives I love diving um and uh, we stayed in um a hotel in the Maldives which had one of the best dive sites in the world literally off the um so it was on a kind of atoll there was a swimming pool an infinity Mm -hmm. and then you literally went down some steps like the other side of the swimming pool down the rock and you were above this incredible dive site drop off where they were in where they were there were, there were kind of reef sharks there were incredible shoals of fish there were huge manta rays and you could swim it was a small enough atoll I'm a big swimmer I love swimming so I would swim all the way around the atoll every morning before breakfast and for me just being able to get out of the pool where I was hanging out with my kids and then just be hovering above one of the most beautiful dive sites I've ever seen that was completely amazing so there are some some mm. some bits of luxury travel which are definitely pleasing
0: mm. I, l- I love the maldives I'd, I'd always, um, you know, I've I've been in travel for many, many years and I'd always, I hadn't ever fancied the Maldives really, I, I before I thought I would just get really bored. And then I thought um, I would treat myself for my 50th birthday and then I went and then I thought I can't believe I've not been here before and I can't believe I've left this until I was 52 uh, to sample the Maldives. But I too stayed in, in our, on a similar island mm. where it was, it took about three steps into the water and then, uh, which is great for people who aren't confident as mm. well just you could literally just dip your head in and then you've got reef sharks yeah um swimming next to you it's, it is a it's a beautiful beautiful destination i love it, it.
1: Beautiful. we took i um, i inherited some money from my granny when she died the one who'd been out in jamaica and i'd always wanted to go to the maldives ever since i was a kid i had a real thing about i mean i'm wearing a kind of jumper today which is like Maldives sea color i love it it's is. my favorite color <laughs> and um and i spent the whole of my inheritance which i think she left me 10 grand and i <laughs> lot taking the family to the Maldives and we had such a good time the girls still talk about it we went on kind of seaplanes, and we swam with a whale shark which was incredible oh did you do that yeah and we were yeah. really lucky. we we were our boat was the first one to spot it and we had we made friends with the boatman because mm. I always talk to everyone you know what I'm like so I was we were chatting and we were going what do we see if we see the world whale shark and he said Jump in quick, swim fast. <laughs> we like because I mean, we saw the whale shark, and then all the other boats, of course, come too because they're all looking for the whale shark. And he was my little one was only about eight, and he was so lovely. This guy, he jumped in with us, and he was pulling her along so that she could oh. fast enough to kind of be with the whale shark before everybody else kind of got there. And that was that was an amazing thing to be in the water with something so huge, I mean, it's the size of like two double decker buses. This thing, it was absolutely enormous. And- this. And
0: how did you feel? Um, what how did you feel? Were, you, were you scared of that? I want... Yeah, I wanted to do that, but my daughter was adamant that uh, that she didn't want to. The photo's, and I've seen video footage. It looks incredible.
1: It was, it was really incredible. I mean, I'm lucky enough that because I'm such a sea
0: nut. I mean, everywhere I go, I just want to be in the water. Mm. I mean, I swim
1: every day in the Hampstead ponds, even when it's um, icy. So I really, I'm kind of quite serious oh, about swimming. Um, and I have, <laughs> I, I remember swimming in Thailand. Um, I used to go to Thailand for New Year a lot when, when I, in my twenties, go to all those parties. Um, and uh, I can remember mm-hmm. there getting in the water and for the first time seeing something that was bigger in the water next to me than I than, than me and, and feeling mm. that kind of frisson of fear of like, crikey, this is kind of a wild thing, which is a lot bigger than me that could probably eat me if it wanted to. And that, so I have a huge respect for the sea and for that kind of thing, but... There was something really magical about being so close to something so wild and so huge you know i've I've been lucky enough to see whales um when i've been traveling you know kind of quite a lot and i, I remember actually in plettenberg bay um with my husband him he used to take the I, I was sleeping longer than him so he would get up with the kids when they were little and i remember him coming running back into the house going whales whales and get picking up me and my other daughter i was still in my pajamas and um racing us back to the sea <laughs> and there were like 20 whales all lined up in this bay next to the rocks you could hear them breathing and us kind of standing you know like a meter away. could touch them they were kind of right there Mm. um and my girls have never forgotten that but being in the water with something that big was you know something something really incredible so i love that but i understand why people might be wary
0: it's a pinch me moment i think isn't it things like that especially when um you know when when nature intervenes in in an experience i did the galapagos a few years ago Yeah, i've never done that and um still to this day it's the best trip i've i've ever experienced it was absolutely incredible and um, my daughter and I were snorkelling and we went really, we were just kind of going with the flow of the waves. And then all of a sudden there were a, around about 30 or so turtles that we were just, mm. just came swimming by. And there's a scene in, um, I think it might be Finding Nemo or one of the Disney movies yeah, where is Nemo, um, and Nemo is... It is, is literally swimming and kind of chilling with the turtles. And that was us. And then a sea lion um, swam past us and we've got blue-footed boobies diving in by the side of us, penguins. The whole thing was just totally overwhelming. You're
1: suddenly in the kind of David Attenborough movie. Yeah. One of the most amazing trips that I ever did was on this Indonesian trip that I did when I was in my early twenties, when I was by myself. So I went all the way down to Zimbabwe and across the flores and to Komodo Island and saw the dragons. That was quite quite mm-hmm. that thing. They're like really big things things with big teeth they ate a sheep in front of us it was yeah didn't they do that now oh, really yeah yeah they devoured a live oh. sheep that was pretty intense and then we got a I got a dive boat back all the way up the northern part of um Simbawa back to the to Gili Trawangan, which took about 10 days. And we we dived and snorkelled there in sea where there was just nobody around for for miles. And I can remember getting in the water there with this enormous cuttlefish, which as we came towards it, Kind of spat out this huge kind of cloud of ink, Um, and I've never forgotten it because it was so it was so huge and the ink was so kind of massive and just this the kind of blue and all the fish around just incredible. Um, And I think my other very very favourite place is a place called Aquarium Beach in Grenada. Um, There's an absolutely amazing long beach there and a bit of it. I think my my daughter was asking me the other day what my favourite beach in the world was, and I think it's probably there. It's called Aquarium Beach. It's perfect. So you get a bit of a wave so you can do some boogie boarding if you want to. And about probably like 15 yards offshore, so not very far, is this incredible reef. And I can remember swimming there with my husband and snorkeling and there just being so many fish, just being in a kind of cloud of silver fish, which kept like starlings in a murmuration kept swishing around, kind of around us and us just being a sea of silver. And that was was really pretty incredible. So when I look back, of my life i feel incredibly lucky to have been to such amazing places and for me it's always um about the sea but then it's also always about the food so when i was lucky, when i was a kid my dad was an italian he's an he's english but he was an italian lawyer he, um as well so we always used to go to italy in the summer. And so I developed a big passion then for Orangina and Nutella and fresh peaches, and kind of amazing white Italian <laughs> oh. bread with butter. I can still so, and and a really good burrata when you could never get it in the UK and, and in oh. kind of really delicious Italian food. So, um, food food and swimming are definitely high on my list of fun things.
0: Now, before I let you go, I've got to ask you some quick-fire travel questions. <laughs> okay. okay, so this is a bit of a list for you. Now, you do know that we're going to judge you based on your answers. Oh, so gosh, okay, ready? right. There's
1: no pressure then.
0: Now, obviously, we spent a lot of money thinking about this, and it's creatively <laughs> called the quick-fire travel quiz. So, your holiday type, relax or explore? Both. Oh no, you can't. You've got to choose one. (laughs) No, well, I'm both. I really. Otherwise, this isn't going to work.
1: I love lying on a sunbed with a book. That's one of my deepest pleasures. But I would also maybe like to kind of swim for a mile before breakfast. So I'm kind of, and I'm always up for like climbing into the hills and finding a waterfall or going to a going to explore. I'm sorry, I I definitely can't. It has to be both for me.
0: I'll give you that one. Okay, you can do a dual answer on that one. This is going to be tough with you. I, I know this is. So de- destination, east or west? Um, Caribbean's west, isn't it? So I think west. It is. On the plane, turn left or right? Oh, well,
1: I'm lucky enough that, most, you know, I've been paid for by other people, so I've turned left. But if I'm paying, it's always right, particularly if I'm travelling with the family. They're jolly lucky to be there at all. When, when I was a kid, my dad did this to us. We, we went to Brazil because um, he had to go and check out some hotels for a client. And he flew first class and we were all in the back of the bus. And occasionally, he would like stroll down, go, "Oh, well, how are you doing back here?" And We'd be like, "We hate you." It's gonna because <laughs> he'd be Don't so bring so much you some sunday. chocolate. Yeah, exactly. Bring bring <laughs> you down a few nuts, kind of from first class. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, I would you know, I would always go first class if somebody else is paying,
0: but on my own dollar, always at the back of the bus. Um, you may have already answered this. So for entertainment, book or music? Book. Um, best time of day sunrise or sunset sunset i'm not great early in the morning
1: in fact one of my worst ever travel experience was um getting up really 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 super early in egypt and going up in a hot air balloon over luxor and the nile which was incredibly beautiful i mean mm. the views were fantastic but i think i don't know if there was something wrong with our balloon but we both got poisoned by the gas and we when, when we came really? out, yeah we had to go to bed for the rest of the day because we felt so dreadful and that was a that was a dawn that was a dawn adventure. I mean, it was really beautiful, but I've never felt so awful. I think we had carbon monoxide poisoning. That would have
0: registered on my disaster list. Yeah, you, no, I think. I've, I've forgotten for sure. about that. I've kind of <laughs>
1: watched it from my mind and It was not very pleasant.
0: Dinner time, fine dining or street food just got to be
1: really good i don't i don't really as long as it's absolutely excellent i don't need 25 napkins and lots of bowing and scraping it's about the quality of the scotch for me not the not the kind of not the milieu although it is lovely to sit somewhere really beautiful kind of looking out over the sea but i'm very happy if that's you know if i've got my feet in the sand and i've got i remember being in um uh, in Tulum in Mexico when, when we were on our big Central America trip before it was all kind of trendy and you had to book kind of, you know, restaurants three months, uh-huh. away from New York and we stayed there and we used to go out there for Christmas a lot and you'd sit and in the sand feet in the sand with a, a, a margarita the size of a goldfish bowl um, and then stagger back <laughs> up the beach, that was pretty good
0: And finally, social media on holiday, is it digital detox or daily posts? Oh, digital detox
1: I'm such a journalist. You told
0: me recently about the silent, the silent retreat that you went on as well.
1: Yeah, that was amazing. So that was down in Devon. That was in Devon on the Dart, a beautiful place called Sharpham, which is just south of Totnes, So on the tidal bit of the Dart, I have to say that was definitely up there as one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And we swam with dolphins in the rivers, river, and I oh, was wow. silent for six days, which lots of people listening to this will be quite surprised to hear. But actually, I decided I really liked Silent <laughs> Eleanor. She was quite relaxed. <laughs>
0: Oh no I'm glad we've not had silent Eleanor today no that would have been a that would have been a disaster um <laughs> um as always it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you honestly thank you for uh, for sharing your stories um you have made me want to jet off to the Caribbean if nothing else um I hope you've enjoyed to- telling your stories as much as I've enjoyed listening to them thank oh, you
1: no it's been a great pleasure thanks very much I certainly realized I hadn't talked about skiing at all so if we were talking about disastrous holidays oh is definitely rupturing my cruciate ligament on the top of mountain in teens (laughs) up there with kind of holiday stories I really don't want to revisit. It's funny, isn't it? All those ones get kind of of pushed away.
0: (laughs) Oh, skiing injuries. Well, that sounds like a story we could cover in another episode. Thanks, Eleanor. And thank you for listening to the show. Don't forget our holiday competition. You could win a full board cruise for one in a standard outside cabin for up to 14 nights, sailing in 2023 with Ambassador Cruise Line. Just visit silvertraveladvisor.com before the 31st of March, 2023 to enter. And if you liked the Silver Travel Podcast, hit follow or subscribe to make sure you get the new episodes as soon as they're released. And why not rate and review us too? If you have any suggestions or questions, just head to the podcast page on the website, silvertraveladvisor.com forward slash podcast. In our next episode, we'll be talking to rugby international, Victor Abugo. Until then, safe travels.